It is time for our weekly news recap, where we dig deeper into the biggest headlines of the week. Stories like these. More than 1,200 students across Chicago public schools don't have bus transportation to get to school. Mayor Lightfoot says a new campaign ad deliberately darkened her skin to try to scare voters. Authorities say three juveniles and one adult have been shot near a high school on Chicago's northwest side. Class is back in session for CPS students two weeks earlier than usual. So many stories to dive into, so let's get started. Joining us today is Carrie Shepard, lead producer of the daily podcast and newsletter, CityCast Chicago. Welcome back to Reset, Carrie. Thanks, Sasha. Glad to be here. Also with us, Brandon Pope, host of the news magazine show On the Block, co-produced by Block Club Chicago and airing on WCIU Channel 26. Welcome back, Brandon. What it do. Good to see you. (laughs) And WBEZ criminal justice reporter, Patrick Smith. Hey, Pat. Hey, Sasha. I want to give a special shout out to the folks who are watching us break down the week's news live right now on WBEZ's Facebook and on WBEZ's YouTube pages. You can also watch the live stream on Reset's Facebook page. And thank you. Carrie, I'm going to start with you. Hundreds of thousands of Illinois students headed back to school this week. Uh, For Chicago students, it was the earliest start in recent memory. CityCast interviewed Chicago Teachers Union President Stacey Davis-Gates this week as well. How did she say that things were going? Uh, She said that they, I mean, we obviously talked to her about COVID safety precautions, and she was quite clear what we already know, that, you know, last year the negotiations for teachers' safety and staff safety, the negotiations were quite intense. She feels um, that they got to a good place. And for protections, obviously, it's a different landscape. We have vaccines and medications now. Um, but, you know, Stacey Davis Gates, I feel like we're often seeing her on the defensive in the media. But True. it is, you know, she, it's just so it's so refreshing to hear her talk. Like the first question that Jacoby asked was what she remembers about her first day as a teacher in Inglewood. And mm. it was great, you know, and she's like, I wasn't prepared, you know, like I, I thought I knew everything. But like meeting the students was so different. And. Something else she said that I thought was really, really important is that the Chicago Teachers Union, it's not just about labor. We're your neighbors. We live here. We are the CTU is connected to all parts of the city. And that is really important. And they should have a voice on many parts of the city, not just education. Well, we know that the safety measures are scaled back a bit this year. Did she say anything about how teachers were feeling about that? You know, she didn't. If she did, maybe it got edited out. I didn't cut it. Um, (laughs) But I I, Well, if we had to imagine how teachers would be feeling about COVID safety measures being scaled back, gang, what would they say? Well, yeah, I think it probably would depend on what what which teacher you ask. <laughs> yeah. I mean, based on based on the um, movements of last year, teachers were very invested in right. as, as much save as much COVID precautions, as much COVID safety as they could have. I I don't imagine their feelings have changed. Although, if you look around you. Seems like most people have kind of decided that they're just over this. Well, I know from a parent perspective, I'm worried. I was say, I've got one. I've got say. one that's leaving the house every day with her mask on, like tight, you know, across her face, and the other that's like, bye. <laughs> I mean, cases are still spiking right now. We, yeah. We, yeah. Since August 12th, the the Illinois Department of Health has reported, I think, more than uh, fifteen thousand cases so far, mm-hmm. with fifty six deaths. So, COVID's still an issue. We got to worry about. Absolutely. Well, Stacey Davis Gates, she also ruled out a run for mayor, didn't she? She did at the City Club, actually. Yeah, on Monday, she said that um, she made it clear that there needs to be change on the fifth floor. She said, you know, I'm not the only one who feels like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, the change is not going to be her. I think she's really eager to this is the start of her tenure as the as the president. So it sounds like she's really 
fired up to take on that role and not run for mayor. Because who wants to do that? Who wants to do that? That's a big job. Her stepping back really intrigues me because, you know, the thought process was, oh, the CTU vote's going to go automatically to her. Well, now it's like, who is it going to go to now? And there's talk about Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson, who currently works for CTU, getting that backing if he uh, throws his hat in the ring. So it's interesting to watch. He was standing next to her, right, at at City Club? Exactly, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, well... Switching the tone here, still talking about back to school. There was um, some sad and alarming news this first week, Patrick. Uh, Violence broke out near a Northwest uh, school. Give us the details. Yeah, um, four teenagers were shot in a drive-by shooting uh, outside of Schur's High School near Milwaukee and Addison, right at the corner of Milwaukee and Addison. It, um, you know, according to police reports and reporting, it was a drive-by shooting. I think a black Mercedes is what I've seen described, and and. They fired from the from the car into just a group of people, mm-hmm. most of them students. Uh, as as we mentioned, four teenagers were shot. Three of them were students. Um, in two of them students at Shures, one of them at a, at a different school. Yeah. Uh, one of them was was critically injured in the shooting. Fortunately, all survived at least at least so far. Um, yeah. So we uh, we're still you know no one's been arrested in that yet. We'll we'll just be following the the status of the victims. And, Everyone's and, still and the recovering. Yeah. Two years ago, um, local school councils were given the power to actually get rid of on-campus police officers. Where did Schurz come down on that? Yeah, so so in the past two years, the number of officers who have been working in schools has gone down by about a third. And the LSC at Schurz voted to remove both of its on-campus police officers last year. I think that's an important thing to be tracking. BEZ and the Sun-Times did uh, a, some really good reporting back in June about what the impact has been. Yeah. I will say when this particular incident uh I don't know that on campus – I mean, I don't know what on-campus police would do to prevent a drive-by shooting that happened just off campus. Across the street at a nice, at a nice yeah. shop. Yeah. And yeah. I don't say that to say that of course, we right. should have campus police officers or we shouldn't, just that I'm not sure that this incident really is evidence for either, either side. Yeah, good point. Uh, Brandon, uh, some Chicago public school students, though, they're, they're still having busing issues. Yeah, this is a problem. So uh, busing issues have been a problem for CPS for years. Um Right now, special needs students are the big problem here. There's about 1,200 students right now impacted. Um, CPS CEO Pedro Martinez says about half of them uh, will be able to get rerouted next week. But parents right now, they're dealing with the fact that their kids, the buses either aren't showing up, they're showing up late, or the times that they are promised. Uh, you know, 90 minutes is the, is the limit that CPS set for how long it's going to take back and forth for a special needs student to get to where they got to go. You're seeing some kids have two-hour trips. Oof, wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that any, each way. Any each kid way. Have, each way. Yeah. Any yeah. kid having a two-hour trip to school, that is wild. Especially with I how would stop early going to school, starts. I think. Uh, I mean, you, this is what happens. Well, I, I know I'm joking, but that's a real that problem. That is what happens. Yeah. Sarah yeah. Carp, yeah. our friend and colleague, Sarah Carp, education reporter, she's been reporting on this since last year, and she was on CityCast this morning, and she was saying she would get these attendance data and, like, yeah. Kids just stop going because if they don't have a ride. And also, like can you imagine two hours how tired your kid would be by the time they got to school? They got to wake up so early so al- already. Early. Yes, yeah. yes. And the parents still got to make breakfast. So this is this is a really big problem for the district. Uh, CPS CEO Pedro Martinez says it still is an improvement from last year where 3,000 students were 
not having any route. They promise they're going to have this resolved by September 6th or 7th, but school's already Ooh, started, September right? September 6th or 7th. That's, yeah. like, that's bringing us into week three. So what they're doing right now, they're offering stipends to parents, monthly stipends of $500 to try to help them make travel accommodations. Uh, CEO Martinez blames this all on a shortage of bus drivers that's impacting not just Chicago, but around the country. They've tried to adjust and uh, raise wages for bus drivers. Right, they're giving them some more money. I think up to $20 an hour. Exactly. But so far, that's not made much of an impact here. So, Yikes. Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We are going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap with WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith, Carrie Shepard of CityCast Chicago, and Brandon Pope, who's host of On the Block, which airs on WCIU Channel 26. Sticking with you, Brandon, and turning to politics for a moment, Mayor Lightfoot took issue with a special campaign ad this week. Yeah, remember that O.J. Simpson Time magazine cover, uh, the darkening issue? Mm-hmm. Lori Lightfoot's accusing um, this pack called the People Who Play by the Rules pack, pretty ironic. Interesting. Um, <laughs> of creating an ad darkening what your rules? skin. Exactly, what exactly. What rules are you playing by? It, very interesting, right? So this pack, they, this ad basically mm-hmm. is one of those doom and gloom, Chicago's so bad. It starts with Mayor Lori Lightfoot at the City Club speech talking about Chicago's going to have a summer of joy. Um, And they use a filter, like most of those doom and gloom ads do. And yes, it does make your skin darker. Now, Dan Proff, he's a conservative radio host here in Chicago. He's the one that owns this pack. He claims that these accusations by the mayor are preposterous. Um, Yeah, he said it was, quote, insane. Called her a racial hustler. Yeah. Meanwhile, Uh, she's saying he's racist for doing this. Exactly. Now, you know, it's tough here. It's It's tough to give him the benefit of the doubt when you look at the optics of it all. So NBC News first reported this. But before they even reported it, uh, Dan Proff's co-host, Amy Jacobson, actually asked a question of the mayor about this, almost like they were like getting in front of the issue, like they knew that this was going going to be be a problem, going to be a thing. So right there, the benefit of the doubt kind of goes away for me. But then you also have a mayor here who's been accused of being a person who cries wolf sometimes. And anytime she gets an attack, it's racist or homophobic without it being racist or homophobic. Um, So uh, it's pretty interesting to see, but she's talking about this being a racist dog whistle. The Pritzker campaign, meanwhile, is calling for Darren Bailey, who wasn't mentioned in the ad, but obviously this was an anti-Pritzker ad trying to prop up Bailey, calling on him to uh, have this ad taken down. Bailey says uh, he has not even worked with this pack before. Yeah. So. Your thoughts, Carrie, on this year's crop of campaign ads and political messages and Chicago being called a, quote, hellhole. Hell it's hole. just yeah. all of the things. Yeah. I, last time I was on Reset, we talked about Darren Bailey calling Chicago a hellhole. So and he the did it again. Continues. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a Photoshop expert, but so I don't know if <laughs> what kind of filter, but it does definitely look darker. But um, whether or not all you, need to a fil- ha- all you need to have is eyes. Exactly. Right. And yeah. also all you need to have is ears because this is not the first racist dog whistle that Darren Bailey has employed. So, or Dan Proft. Yeah. You know, he's got a record, too. Yeah. So um, and I would just add, like, Brendan, Brandon, you made a good point about, like, the racist homophobic. But I also say there's a lot of misogynistic um, yeah. attacks that go on as well. Uh, yeah. So I'm I it's it's gross, yeah. obviously. Yeah. You think we're likely to see more of these in the coming months, Patrick? Well, I am confused by Darren Bailey's. Uh, and I know that, you know, because it's a pack. um, He's not technically, you know, I'm sure he wasn't involved in actually putting the ad together, but I'm confused by the strategy, the hellhole strategy. Yes. He seems to have yes. decided to double down. I don't think, I'm not a political strategist. I don't think you can win 
Illinois with just downstate, and, and so mm-hmm. I am confused. So I don't know. I guess it based Brandon on says what's no. A, you can't. I mean, <laughs> you absolutely cannot. You cannot. So I, I don't. Not quite sure what the strategy there and, is to double down on this. And uh, they've yet to spend ad dollars in the Chicago TV market. Like I don't see what the strategy is here. We right don't now. matter. I mean, I guess it's a theory that Bailey's maybe thinks he can get folks in the collar counties or, you know, that, but the people who live around the hellhole. Exactly. Yeah. Who can work in the hellhole, but then they leave. The right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and they get out. Mm-hmm. Get out. Well, uh, Patrick, sticking with you, a former alderman with a familiar name headed to prison this week. Yeah, that's right. Patrick Daly Thompson, grandson of Richard J. Daly, nephew of Richard M. He reported to federal prison in Wisconsin on Monday to start serving his four-month sentence on convictions that he filed false tax returns and lied to regulators. Um, He used to be the alderman representing the 11th Ward, which is Bridgeport, which is the long – not just Bridgeport, but includes Bridgeport, which is the longtime uh, daily home and where he lived as well. Uh, He should be out before Christmas if if all goes according to plan. Oh, before Christmas. Well, uh, a Chicago cop allegedly involved in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol has refused a plea deal. Fill us in on the details there. Yeah, this was reported by our colleague Chip Mitchell, uh, Officer Carol Cheswick. He's accused of breaching the U.S. Capitol, entering a, a senator's office during the insurrection on January 6th. According to the federal complaint against him, Cheswick uh, texted selfies of himself to a friend inside the Capitol wearing a sweatshirt with the CPD logo on it and texted, we inside the Capitol, L-M-F-A-O, uh, <laughs> allegedly. This is according to the complaint. Uh, you throw that allegedly in there, please. He's, uh, he's, uh, he was charged with, I think, six misdemeanors. He was offered a plea deal where he would plead guilty to just one and have face a maximum of six months in prison. He rejected that at a hearing on Tuesday, so... Presumably he will, well not presumably, they set a trial date. So unless there's a new deal, there will be a trial, although it won't be for, for, for a long time. Why, I, sorry, to like I wonder what, I mean obviously you're not his attorney, but why reject the plea deal? <laughs> right. I mean yeah. with no. some. Like, well, I, you know, that's a really good question. I mean the fact that they got to the point where they have a hearing that the plea deal came up to me indicates that his attorney thought this was a deal he should take and he yeah. decided uh, not to take it. Okay. I, I don't want to say because I, I um, wasn't covering the hearing, Chip, Chip Mitchell was, but it sounds like something that maybe his attorney does think he should have taken and he decided not to. I'm still stuck on the text message. Like, that's exactly what I would <laughs> right. send if I was in the Capitol. We in here, yo. We out here. <laughs> 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 I, I should say he was on medical leave from CPD during the, on January 6th. Uh, then he was stripped and put on uh, suspended without pay. He's now on. Uh, he has a leave of absence. Still a ridiculous text. Uh, <laughs> I'm not defending the text. I want to take. Text. Hey, here's a question from someone who's watching us on YouTube right now. Hi, hey, what's up? Hey, Kevin. Kevin's got this comment. He says, "If everyone agrees that there needs to be a change on the fifth floor, why is it likely that we'll have one of the lowest mayor election turnouts come February?" Ooh. Well, I want to just start by saying that uh, I certainly have not said I agree there needs to be a change. <laughs> so I think we all, as a panel want to say we're not weighing in on the mayoral race. Right. Um, I, do we know that that's going to be the lowest uh, turnout? That's the thing. That, that seems like a prediction. It's I don't kind of know early it, to say. I mean, yeah. traditionally, they're very low. I mean, yeah. this is my first mayoral election. Right. Traditionally, um, it's very low. I mean, the old adage used to be like, do people even know the name of their alderman? I think that's changing a bit more. I'm hopeful it's changing. Um, they've, you know, since the pandemic, it's a little easier. You can vote by mail now and everything. Maybe. True. 
maybe that helps I, turn out. I wonder if Kevin's thinking lack of big names. There were yeah. a lot of mm-hmm. names that were attached yeah. True. who were rumored to run, and they decided, now I'm going to sit this one out. So maybe he's thinking without those, it's like, all right. Totally. It, it is interesting. There aren't any like big name challengers right now. Right. I, I guess no. there's not anybody so far that seems to be like exciting people to come to the ballot box. I, I wonder if we'll see somebody announce, uh, you know. We'll have to wait and see, Kevin. All right, that is WEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith, Carrie Shepard, who's lead producer for the daily podcast and newsletter CityCast Chicago, and Brandon Pope, host of On the Block, which airs on WCIU Channel 26. Panelists, let's go ahead and wave hello to the people watching us live right now on Facebook and YouTube. Hi. Hi, thank you so much. Listeners, you can head over to those WBEZ pages if you would like a more visual experience. And some of Brandon and Carrie's dancing on this weekly news you recap. you got to get the shoulders out I of couldn't me. leave them hanging. Yeah, yeah. All right, switching gears. Patrick, mm. I'm looking at you. Testimony continued in R&B singer R. Kelly's Chicago trial. What did we learn this week? Yeah, so the, the focus this week and during the second week of, of R. Kelly's trial has been largely about the alleged obstruction of justice that prosecutors say Kelly committed dur- to get his acquittal on child porn charges uh, back in 2008. Uh, so in 2008, he went to trial in Cook County Court, was ultimately found not guilty of child porn charges. He's accused one of the main parts of the case against him here in Chicago federal court is that he bribed people, intimidated witnesses, mm-hmm. obstructed justice in general to get a wrongful not guilty conviction or not conviction, excuse me, but acquittal. Yeah. Um, Including so, parents, correct? Yes. One of the, okay, yeah. And, and so that's been a big focus of this week of testimony Today, uh, you know, I'm not sure if the cross-examination has has wrapped up yet, but but so far today it's been cross-examination of a woman who testified that um, she engaged in sexual acts with Kelly and a 14-year-old girl, that she filmed, and that that was filmed, that she filmed Kelly engaging in sexual acts with a 14-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. She says that Kelly then paid her a quarter of a million dollars to, to recover uh, one of those tapes that she actually stole from him because she didn't want him to have video of her any longer. Um, uh, so she was And he being, paid her to be able to get it back. Exactly. She, he paid her for her, to, yeah, to get it back. Um, mm. Then earlier in, in the week, there was testimony from another person who said he made a deal. He didn't act, end up actually getting a full million dollars, but he made a deal with Kelly and his team to get a million dollars to recover other videotapes of Ke- that showed Kelly allegedly having sex with or, or sexually abusing uh, teen, young teenage girls. Um, that was a contentious, uh, as cross-examinations usually are, an attempt yeah. to, to impeach that witness, witness as well. This busy week, I mean, every week in this trial is going to be busy. I think we're expecting it to last about six weeks. This week comes after last week when, as weeks tend to do, when um, jurors were shown videos that allegedly showed the sex acts the between acts. Kelly mm-hmm. and the wow. 14-year-old girl. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Carrie, uh, a commission formed by Mayor Lightfoot finally came out with its report about the city's statues. What were the findings? Um, Kind of what we, I think, predicted not to put the Columbus statues, which were removed. One, the main, you know, in Arrigo Park in Little Italy and then in Grant Park Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night after a lot of protests around them. Um, You know, they said keep those in storage and other, you know, mostly all of the contested monuments, they said, do should not go back up, the ones that have been removed. Obviously, they said, you know, for things like structures like bridges where you cannot remove the monuments, they're part of the infrastructure. Maybe you, you know, have a plaque that acknowledges what's happening here with the colonizers. And, um, 
But what's interesting is so the mayor, you know, formed this committee. So this was handpicked by the mayor. Mm -hmm. And now the mayor said that there needs to be, I think, another committee of the (laughs) working group, a working group of the recommendations. So, you know, we've all seen death by committee and a lot of things that need to change. Um, So so her reaction to the commission's recommendations is. We need more recommendations. <laughs> more, we need yeah. to evaluate the recommendations. I, th- I mean, she's in a she's in a political spot, right? Like, you know, the Italian American community has been very vocal that you know these statues should go back up, and then um, you know, there's a huge contingent like young black and brown people who were so active and vocal in leading this movement to bring these down, who say like, no, do not put these back up. So. Yeah. There's also some money at stake, too. I mean, some of these suggestions were about, like, the Michigan Avenue Bridge. And the things they wanted fixed about the Michigan Avenue Bridge are, like, part of the infrastructure right. of the Michigan right. Avenue Bridge. So if you, you know, have to remove parts of that, you got to shut down the bridge. And that's going to take construction and manpower and money. So she's got to factor in stuff like that, too, for some of these monuments. There are about 40 that were flagged, right? Yeah, so, 40. A little more than 40. Yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah so. And there, I should say that she did the recommend the commission did recommend that they new works be built like certain groups like in Chatham and Mahalia Jackson, you know, something down in Pilsen, I believe, uh, for the Latino community. So there oh, has, so they had some ideas. Exactly. Some funding to go to these newer these new monuments that um, could be part of part of the public art landscape. And Carrie, a Chicago businessman made news this week, too, for what's believed to be the largest ever donation to a political group in U.S. history, $1.6 billion. Dollars. Who is Barry said? I have no idea. Okay. I had no idea before reading this story from ProPublica, and I think it was The Lever or The Lever. I'm not sure how to say this, but it was fantastic reporting. I have never heard of this person. And Anybody I'm not, know Barry? I'd like to know him. I'm not a business <laughs> reporter. He does have an interesting backstory as like, a, you know, I think he came as an immigrant during the Holocaust. I could be wrong on that. So forgive me if it's that's the t- not the timeline. But this he sort of just built this empire, this ele- electronics empire. And he's real quiet and behind the scenes, as often a lot of people who fund the coffers for political <laughs> endeavors are, you know, are. Mm-hmm. But I was like... That's so much money. But the other important point, obviously, about this is that this is in both Republicans and Democrats do this, to be clear, is like you they work around the laws to make sure that these there are not tax liabilities and in, mm-hmm. in getting all this money to, quote unquote, nonprofits. What's the um, Marble Freedom Trust? Uh, I think it's led by the guy who was formerly with the Federalist Society. And I I think yeah. part of their uh, platform is. And abortion, and abortion, and abortion. I mean, no, it's other, wow. you know, it's, that's a big, that's a big one for them. But, yeah. you know. Do we know how Barry said makes his money? He runs, excuse me, he runs, um, this, I think it's called Trip now. It's it's electronics. Oh, okay. um, it's an electronics company. I think, is it Trip? I'm sorry. Well, it's doing well. Yes, it's very well. Whatever it's called. Very well. I'm just always fascinated when these people give these large amounts of money to these campaigns. And I'm like, that money could go to so many other things you can directly impact. Yeah. It's like you're giving it to a campaign, hoping they win so they can do some stuff when you could just like 
use that money to do some stuff. It's but just like, yeah. What do I know? I don't got no money. So. <laughs> Nobody got that kind of money. <laughs> $1.6 billion. Jeez. All right. So let's shift, Brandon, from news of a billionaire businessman to a group of housing activists camping out in an uptown parking lot. They're trying to block a development. What's this about? Yeah. So the old Weiss Hospital, they basically sold off their parking lot to this developer, the developer named Lincoln Property Company. They got a few developments that they're doing. And there's a new high rise that they're building in Uptown. Um, these activists, there are six that are camping out. But more than that, that are actually protesting. Um, they want that lot to be bought back by Weiss Hospital. Um, and utilize for community needs, utilize for things. Because their concern right now, like a lot of people's concern, is that with another high rise in the area, people are going to be forced out. Mm -hmm. People are going to uh, not be able to live there affordably. Gentrification is going to happen. And for context here, this is a 12-story complex they're they're set to build, and it would only have the city-mandated minimum of eight affordable housing Mm. units. Eight. Oh, out of a – it's a 314-unit and Apartment only, complex, only and only eight, eight would be affordable. Only eight have to be, and so they're they're going to stick with that. Now, now the company also has put money toward um, a separate housing development that goes toward homeless women and things like that. So they're they're trying to you know kind of offset it with that, but you know it it's a bad look. So these activists, like many activists, are very concerned about the rise in rent costs. Rent costs are going up across the city, yeah. across even the suburbs right now. And so um, they're going to stay out there, they say, until their demands are met or until police force them out. Police have stopped by so far, talked to them, questioned them, have not kicked them out yet. So it's going to be something to watch over the next uh, few days. Are these renters in Uptown? Because this mm-hmm. is a story yeah. that's been yeah. going on in Uptown for decades, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know, this, and they've been this... out there since Sunday. Yeah. So, okay. Um... So, okay. Got it. Yeah. And uh, between us and and, and uh, Block Club Chicago, uh, Joe Ward, who's been doing reporting yeah. on this, uh, we've been trying to reach Wise, uh, not not Wise, the developer. They're called Lincoln Property Lincoln Company. Lincoln Property, yeah. Haven't heard back. Surprise, surprise. Uh, we reached out to Wise Hospital as well and their parent company. Uh, a representative did confirm that they've closed the sale on the parking lot, so it is no longer in their control. Mm, yeah. And uh, planned sale of the hospital itself to uh, Resilience Healthcare, that's not completed. Mm. And that property company still has to get through uh, some permits for construction. They can't even break ground yet. Like mm. There's a crane permit they have to get, things like that. So that's not a done deal either. But this action, uh, overall, it fits into the landscape of affordable housing in that neighborhood. Oh, it's, right? a, it's an ongoing conversation. Absolutely. And Uptown's been one of those places that people have targeted as, let's put a new high rise here and here and here. And it's also a neighborhood where people need affordable housing. So, oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I lived, lived there almost up. 20 I years almost ago. Yeah. And this was a conversation. Yeah. Like, you know, the borders is going to change everything. The borders closed down, you know. Yeah. Right. And there's there's a lot of there's a lot of social service agencies in Uptown. It's an extremely diverse neighborhood as well. Yeah, this is a yeah. pretty consistent conversation there. Absolutely. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We are digging into the headlines for our weekly news recap with WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith, Carrie Shepard of CityCast Chicago, and Brandon Pope, host of On the Block, which airs on WCIU Channel 26. All right, let's turn to something very different. Uh, Police have charged a man in the hit and run that killed three people and injured a fourth. This was outside South Shore's Jeffrey Pub back on August 14th. 
What do we know about this person and his motives, Patrick? Yes, yeah, so so police and prosecutors say that 34-year-old Tavis Dunbar drove his car at almost 60 miles per hour mm. into a group of four people outside of the pub uh, on August 14th. I still refuse to watch that video. I, I, I think you're making the right decision, frankly. Anybody who doesn't have to for professional mm-hmm. reasons, I, mm-hmm. I, I would avoid it. Um, they say it, it, it's it's interesting is probably not, not the right word, but, but there's a lot that we still don't know about this. They say, that, according to authorities, that this happened – right after a fight had happened just outside of Jeffrey Pub and that witnesses heard somebody shouting, I got something for you after that fight and then right before this this crash. Um, however, police say they don't have evidence that Dunbar was involved in the fight. They don't have reason to believe that this was a hate crime. The Jeffrey Pub is a gay bar on the south side. Um, so so you asked what his motives are, and we, we really still don't know, at least according to authorities, we really don't know what motivated this, if it was the fight, even though he wasn't directly involved, mm-hmm. it, if it was something else. Um, according to prosecutors, the car's black box, which records information about the car uh, before, during, and after a crash, um, it, it showed that he was going 59 miles per hour, or the driver, allegedly, Tavis Dunbar, was going 59 miles per hour. That he the gas pedal was pressed almost all the way to the floorboard. There was no attempt to stop before mm-hmm. striking these four people. Um, according to prosecutors, he he went to a friend's house after told told this woman that people were were trying to get him and he just barely got away and he didn't have time to stop. According to authorities, the evidence just does not support that. So we still don't know a lot about what motivated this um, wow. horrific attack. It would seem like this person was on a mission, though. Yeah. yeah, that was my first thought. Feels Be- targeted. Yeah, South. I mean, Jeffrey's Pub is one of the oldest gay bars in the country, and I my first thought, sadly, was was this a was this a hate crime? But you say mm. the authorities say there is no well, indication they, of that they right have now. Not, yeah, they have not ruled that out, but they say yeah. they they don't have so any far, indication so far, that, that yeah. that's what what was going on here. Wow. Lightning the mood sports. Oh yeah, the sports report. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Turning now to Brendan Pope. Brendan Whammy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, the goal of being the WNBA's first back-to-back champions in, what, 20 years, that's still alive for the Chicago Sky. still very much alive. So they're going to play the Connecticut Sun in the semifinals starting Sunday at 7 p.m. WNBA changed their uh, playoff format, so now it's a best-of-five series. Mm. Previously, it was a best-of-three. The Sky, you know, they swept the regular season series with the Connecticut Sun, um, and this is a Sun team that has some consistent athletes on it that can average a triple-double at any point. You got Natisha Heideman, Alyssa Thomas, John Quell Jones all doing really well, but the Sky are still favored by Vegas odds, um, about 18-point favorites in that. So that's pretty, that, yeah, that's pretty large there. Ooh. So uh, according to some Vegas odds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to see how that goes. Best of five series. The Sky, you got to remember, when they won their championship, they were not the number one seed yes, in the WNBA. Yeah, they right. weren't really right. that great in the regular season. They stumbled, but once they got to the playoffs, woo, they caught lightning. We're going to see if that still happens. They got a lot of the same makeup. They got to step up their scoring for sure. Uh, but, hey, the pieces are there. Candace Parker playing better than she ever has. Um, so they're ready for a title defense. No injuries right now? Everybody's in tip-top shape? You know, there, there's been some concerns around Kalia Copper, um, but she's doing well so far. So Yeah, she had, she had an injury in game one, I think. She did, she did. But she should be good to go for uh, this this series. Is This could be Candace Parker's last year, dare so I say? So you know That's Candace Parker, she said that she has been t- – Viewing this season as if it is her last season. Um, no. So I know, right? She's done so much. I mean, j- just to think, so she much. came back to her hometown, to this franchise. Didn't have to do that, right? Um, and took them over the top. 
And if they could do it again, what a way to cap off a career yeah. as a back-to-back championship. That was so Sweet. fun. That was so fun last year. I mean, we all needed it, and it came <laughs> yeah, at and the best time. One of the best parts, so I talked to head coach James Wade a, a few days ago, um, and he said what he's enjoyed is he's seen more people in the stands, especially more men in the stands. Nice. Excellent. And that's, that's what we need. More that's people supporting women's sports. That's Absolutely. The way it be. Yeah, Absolutely. my goal, hopefully all men at the next. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, Patrick, wrong answer. Hey, Win Trust Arena, pack it up. All Sunday right, be- at 7. Before it's I a great, kick you it's a out. Great, great place before to Before I kick you out of this studio, any stories that piqued your interest this week that maybe we didn't get and maybe was not on everyone's radar? Anyone? Um, Nick Cannon. Why does he keep oh having kids? <laughs> Baby number 10. I think he's like preparing an army for a war we don't know about yet. So we need to really start talking to him. Well, uh, both of the things I'm thinking of would really bring down the mood. So, Carrie, you go first. I was, yeah, I, never mind, Patrick. Never I mind. Think mine does too. Actually, we are we're covering um, the boat boat safety oh, after yeah. um, the accidents in the playpen. Chicago um, scene. Yeah, yeah we're right. we're covering that on. That has on been a, 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 a issue that's been happening every year at that Black Sea and boat party. I was there for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it really like. There's got to be some sort of clear parameter set because this happens way too often. It does not seem safe. I mean, Patrick and I know because we walk past it after work <laughs> or oh, maybe no. Pierre, not because we go to the playpen, <laughs> sadly. Yeah. But yeah, it does It does not seem safe. Yeah. Well, for folks watching us on the live stream, I want to say a special thank you once again. And I want to shout out Richard, who left us this very nice comment. He said, great program. Fun to watch you guys making radio. Well, thank Aww, you, Richard. Thanks, yeah. Richard. I love Radio's that. fun. We love giving you this peek behind the scenes. I think that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, it's yeah. Awesome. awesome. We've been talking with WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith, Carrie Shepard, who's lead producer for the daily podcast and newsletter CityCast Chicago, and Brandon Pope, host of On the Block, which which airs on WCIU Channel 26. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great weekend, all. Thanks, Sasha. This is great. Thanks. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.